Welcome to the Imposture to Unstoppable podcast, where physicians can learn how to overcome imposter syndrome and create the career of their dreams. Dr. Kelly Mayfield is a doctor of all trades. She is a board-certified family medicine physician who was additionally certified in palliative medicine and a certified nursing home and hospice medical director. She graduated summa cum laude from Mars Hill University in North Carolina. She then pursued her research on the effects of drugs on behavior at Vanderbilt and graduated with a master's degree. She then went to East Tennessee State University where she has won both local and national awards for excellence in family medicine education. She is also a co-author of the Women in White Coats series, Chronicles of Women in White Coats 3. Kelly, thank you for being here with me. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me here tonight. I'm excited to talk with you. I'm excited that you're here. You have so many stories to, that, you, that you've shared with me so far in, <laughs> in our time together. So let's just jump in. And you've, ha- you've done a lot of things with your career and uh, your life. So where has imposter syndrome stood out the most for you? Stood out the most. Wow. That's hard to say, but um, I guess that where it stood out the most has um, been in relation to after my treatment for substance use disorder. Um, and that's an ongoing thing um, because we're even now 20 years after the fact of, you know, 20 years in recovery, I'm still um, filling out forms and giving explanations every time I um, renew a license, apply for new, um, renew my privileges for anything, you know, and then you have to fill that out. And everyone has to fill out those checklists, you know, but I guess um, majority of people just go through that checklist and hit no, 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 with probably out reading much of it. Although maybe um, I'd say a majority most physicians may have had a lawsuit at some point or, you know, I, and you might have to make an explanation of that or the dreaded national practitioner data bank, you know, and, and there you start to feel like an imposter, you know, cause you feel like you're the only one, the only doctor who's ever had, you know, been put in the corner. <laughs> yeah. And it's a good point to bring up straight away because it's yeah. almost like you said, like something like that, that's so remote in your past, but it's like in this, in this field of medicine, we're not able to ever forget anything yeah. that wasn't perfect, which is right. so unrealistic. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. And even, even the fact that, um, you know, it happened, why, why does there have to be a time, um, you know, you had a lawsuit, you, you had anything. Why, why is there no room for margin to be human? You know, why is there a list of, you know, questions about, do you have any history of mental illness? Why is that in that list? You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're not allowed to be sad. We're not allowed to have um, postpartum depression. You know, I mean, we're, yeah, really? Yeah. And that's ridiculous. 
Yeah. So it's almost like mm-hmm. you bring up a good point because it's almost mm-hmm. as if as a physician, mm-hmm. we have so many risk factors for imposter syndrome anyway. Yeah. And then you mm-hmm. add in the fact that there's an expectation almost subtle or not subtle that we mm-hmm. should be perfect. And if we're not perfect, then we're not good enough. We're not quite enough. Right. Yeah. We're imposters. We're imposters as physicians because the perfect physician is a male, you know, who has, um, who is tough enough, right? He gets no mental illness, no, and no marks of, you know, yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and people love him always, you know? And so that, right. And that doesn't exist. (laughs) It doesn't exist. There's no more Marcus Welby, you know, they've gone out of practice. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's true because it's, it's really, I think that what's coming out now, fortunately, is that um, there are some very strong doctors like you um, who are coming out and saying like, this is my life. And these are the things that I've done in my past. And it actually Mm -hmm. makes me a better doctor because of those things, not despite them. It does. It does. It, it makes us human. And you know what Um, patients want human beings for doctors, they don't want to um, be seen by a machine. They don't want to be seen um, in the seven minute exam um, where someone's looking at a computer and doesn't know who they are. And they want to know that someone cares about them and that they actually have capability of having empathy. um, That's more than just cognitive empathy that is actually an emotional connection. And there's a difference between being able to like, okay, I think I understand what you're going through when I can actually understand and feel uh, the emotion of what you're going through. Yeah. Um, And so how have your struggles with um, substance use disorder or anything that you've gone through, how have they made you better at your job and and better as a doctor? Yeah. I mean, I think that any time that we suffer, we can understand the suffering of other people. You know what? I think that in people um, that have um, any type of suffering um, are looking for someone just to have a little compassion and empathy. And when you come to the doctor, I mean, one of the chief complaints we know is that you're coming because of pain and you want to be heard for that. And, um, you know, I think it, when you asked about imposter syndrome, that's just one of the ways that I had imposter syndrome. I mean, I had imposter syndrome from an early first coming into medical school because I studied psychology as an undergrad and I didn't really decide to come to medical school until after I'd gone um, into studying um, neuroscience, um, behavioral psych and then said, oh yeah, and, you know, I'm allergic to all the animals that I'm um, working with. And I, I think I, I'm going to go in and work with people because I really love the brain and behavior and, and all that. And I can work with people and I am a people person too. And I was kind of lonely down there three floors below the earth working with just rats. <laughs> and, and so <laughs> I decided, but then when I got to, to medical school, um, um, I was like 
what, why are we like just memorizing lists and lists and lists and things? Where are the people that we're supposed to be working with these first two years, right? Like we didn't see a patient for two years, right? And I'm like, what, what's happened here? You know? And so that really kind of confused me mm-hmm. like two years of just memorizing lists, which I can do well, but it seemed to have nothing to do with what, what my idea was of medicine and helping people. And um, so that made me feel like, okay, I'm an imposter. I landed in the wrong, on the wrong planet for, um, for what, because everybody else seemed to be like loving this mm-hmm. and they'd been working for years to continue to do this. And was, that just kind of blew me away. And so that, but and I think that patients, when they come in and they're like, oh, you want to talk to me? You want to listen to me? You want to hear me? They, they really are like, oh, that's really, but I think there's a lot of doctors that would, that want that. We want that, that, you know, a lot of people started out wanting that. And then they got into school and they thought, okay, this is what I got to do. This is the treadmill. I'm the hamster. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm got on the treadmill and I don't know how to get off and I'm, I'm on it and I'm doing it. And I, and then we forgot Yeah. and we've just been pushed on it and we kept on it and we, and our imposter syndrome took over and we thought, well, I'm not a good doctor unless I just do the treadmill. Like I've been told to do, you know, because yeah. this is, this is what all the other successful hamsters are doing. Yeah. It's, it's a really yeah. good visualization of, of the medical system and where we've gone yeah. wrong, because yeah. I think it's, it's when we can take a step off of that and realize like our inherent value and that we're a doctor and, or we are, what I like to think of it is I don't, I am not, my, my value is not as a physician. I, I work as a physician, but I'm not a physician. Like that's not who I am as a, as an identity. And I think when you can dissociate that is when you can kind of regain that humanity back before I forget, I Kelly, I had to, I love that story. You told me about the psychology because I was a psychology major in undergrad. And, um, I remember thinking I didn't know how I was going to go into medical school or get a PhD in psychology. And I was at this crossroads and I was like, what should I do? And it was the rats. I was like, I don't want to work with rats. So I, I went to medical They're school. They're awful. They're awful. <laughs> you made the right decision. Yeah. Rats so I love that you said that mm-hmm. because I was like, that was like a core um, reason I did not decide to get a PhD in psychology. <laughs> yeah. And the rats drew, drove me away eventually too. But I remember my, um, my major professor when I was down there in that lab and they'd taken me out of the rat lab and they put me in this other room and I was just like dissecting pieces of um, monkey brain. And I was mm. like, and there, and I was like, oh, I'm so lonely. I'm in this room by myself and I'm looking in monkey brain all day long, you know, finding the little homunculus, you know, mm-hmm. and he's like, you're going to medical school. You're going to work with sick people. Sick people are awful. And I'm like, it's, you know, it's, it's not the sick people. No, the sick people are wonderful. You know, mm-hmm. it's, they are, it's, they, they're like, really reaching they're grasping they're wanting you know it's all yeah. the stuff that we've surrounded the sick people with that's made it so yeah. difficult yeah yeah it's true yeah. it's the stories that we i think as physicians when we're feeling doubt we're feeling self-doubt and we're mm-hmm. feeling like if we take everything personally instead of just being present with our patients and just taking their pain on and just letting them tell us their story without that 
feeling like we're being attacked, which I think we, I've been there. Like I've been in the place where I'm like, they don't think they're mad about something and I'm taking it, making it meaning something about me when I've been so much more effective as a physician by just listening to them and seeing them for who they are beyond the pain of what brought them to me. Yeah. You know, I've had patients who like, I, I mean, like I've worked in everything, you know, from, and I'm hospice palliative medicine, which, and, um, and, you know, it's just being present with people that are dying and families that are are dealing with that, you know, and it's like, well, I'm not going to stop the death, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. and, and when people come, you know, and, and ask me, oh, so when is, when is mom or dad going to die? And it's like, oh, wow. You know, I mean, and, and that's like one imposter syndrome, like, oh, okay. Like, um, I'm supposed to be able to know when this person's going to die. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And we have all these predictive models and all this stuff. And it's like, hmm, they, they don't really want to know that, you know, so mm-hmm. much as they just want some reassurance and all. And it's uh, often, and, and we, and that nobody's really talked about, well, they're going to die. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, and so just bringing that up, like, well, yeah, that's going to happen. And, um, and a lot of times what I do say is like, you know, when I try to tell you exactly when it's going to happen, mm, the big guy upstairs makes a fool of me for mm-hmm. trying to you know, hit it on the nail. But what I can tell you about is what I do know is likely to happen in the next, you know, so many months, right. whatever, you know, based on what we know about what's happening now. Right. And what are your, what are your, your hopes, your wishes, your goals for care, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's where like everybody gets all like, well, you know, hotty totty about like, I'm going to look at this number, that number, this number, you know, and, and it's like, what, wait, wait, what, you know, what what is it we're really asking here? You know, Mm -hmm. it's like that, you know, we just want a little compassion about what that, you know, that we just want you to understand. We just want to know. Yeah, they're just, we just want to know. Yeah, he's gonna die, and right. we want to know that you care about that. And and then I'm also on the other end of the spectrum. Work with um, patients in addiction medicine, and oh, everybody gets so upset about like, oh, are they gaming you? Right? They're you know, and and it's like, mm, it, it, I'm like, are if somebody's gaming me. Well, that's on me, but the other end of that is they are also in a life and death game, mm-hmm. right? And my job is not like to worry about being gamed. It's to care about like whether they're going to die. And, mm-hmm. and, um, and so when I just open it up from that end, you know, I've, I've had, you know, patients come in and say, and be so honest with me about exactly what they're doing and, and stay and, and improve. And then they're like, you know, you're the only one who I've been with who actually cared, mm-hmm. you know, and that's why I tell you what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. You know? And so I think, I think it's when we come from it, it's like, I, I'm not worried about what they're trying to do to me. It's right. It's, it's bigger than yeah. that. It's bigger than that. Yeah. And that's where like, and I know in the back of my head that where the imposter syndrome comes in is I think, okay, I think about like, 
okay, I know all the other people over here are doing this different, you know, so I'm an imposter. I'm not, I'm not doing this like some other duck. I'm going to get called on this. I'm going to get called on that. And then I think, okay, what's, what's, what's my purpose? What's my, like what we're talking about? What's my, I got to stop and think what's my end. Yeah. What's my role? What, who do I answer to the patient or, you know, that negative self-talk of like, you know, those people you hear like chatter, mm-hmm. chatter, 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 right? Like the, put them in the back, put them yeah. out the door. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. That's been mm-hmm. such a life-changing thing for me too, yeah. is putting my purpose and my, my willingness and my desire to serve above all else. And mm-hmm. It's very easy it, as a, as physicians, we're very lucky because it comes very naturally to many of us because that's why we got into this job. So mm-hmm. as much as the self-doubt is present and sometimes very loud, um, that can never, ever be louder than your purpose and your, and your desire to serve and be there for another person. And whenever I find myself, I I call it like the self-doubt spiral. Like I'm like really in the hole, like I'm going down the hole. Yeah. All I have to do is like take a deep breath and and ask myself, how can I best serve this patient right now? And it's like a switch. It's so effective. Mm -hmm. And it's because that aligns with our purpose and nothing like no self-doubt can ever top that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh, I know that, you know, like, the whole thing about like, oh, should this patient have uh, this um, suboxone plus a benzodiazepine? You know, oh, you know, there's a never, never, never on this end versus, you know, there's, you know, you can find some literature where, well, it might be in this case, you know, and then you're thinking, oh, what do I do? What do I do? And then you see they went to um, um, someplace here and they, oh, they've already got somebody that says, oh, this is blah, 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 you know, and, and, you know, they've been going the rounds and you're like, Oh, you know, they just, they've had all this trauma happen in their life again and again and again. And you're, and you're going, wow, what do we do? What are you, you're there between a rock and a hard place. You're trying to look at what happens to the people that are in the rock and the hard place again and again and again and again. And, and then you're thinking, you know, if you, you just go up front with the person and you just say, okay, I, I don't have any never, never, nevers. I just have, this is what we can do, you know, if you're willing to work, you know, and that's where you, you work, you serve with people, you know, and that, and that's where, you know, you see some occasional, occasionally you get burned, but more than not, you know, you can get some really amazing things happen and in all different areas. Yeah. 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 Um, back to what you're earlier in your career, um, Uh you had mentioned a few other times where you've had that imposter syndrome or Uh self-doubt, anything else you, you want to bring up about that, that you can think of that we, that you wanted to touch on? Oh, like, um, yeah. Um, we start siloing ourselves into like these different, you know, okay. You've got the fellowships, the different, um, tracks of everyone. And then you feel alone again, you're back to that lonely little kid in um, elementary 
a school and you don't, and you're that perfectionist trying to be the, you know, so perfect and you don't reach out when you need help. And that I think is part of that imposter syndrome, still trying to be perfect on your, on your own. And I think that we, in our medical training, um, our medical education, we, we make that worse by shame. Mm-hmm. Shame is a big part of our education. Yeah. I can remember watching other people be shamed and thinking, oh gosh, you know, I'm going to have to be even more perfect because I do not want to be shamed like that by that attending mm-hmm. on rounds, the way they would shame someone if they got an answer wrong. Yeah. Yeah. This is, and, it, and it's so um, pervasive in medicine and something that yeah. I think that we should learn like day one mm-hmm. of yeah. medical school is that no one can make us feel anything without our permission. And mm-hmm. we're not told that because it's mm. modeled for us. Exactly. Like you said, it's modeled for us. Like we see someone um, belittling a resident or a medical student. And then we see that student or resident feel belittled. We can, we see that interaction and then it's, it's, it's like a subconscious thing. And then our brain, like, Oh, that's the normal thing that happens. We want, yeah. we fear that feeling of being, yeah shame, feeling shame. When in fact, what we need to be taught is in those moments, you are still in control because you Mm -hmm. are in control of the thoughts you have about that situation. So Mm. no matter what anyone ever says to you or tries to make you feel, they cannot do it without your permission. But if we're not taught that, then it's, you just, we just follow suit. We just follow what we've seen. And Mm -hmm. I remember when I was a resident, being um at grand rounds and feeling that like totally exposed and humiliated and i had no idea that i was in control in that situation like i mm. was the one who was allowing them to make me feel that way um and i felt like i had no control when in fact it was all under my control but we don't teach that yeah yeah well i mean i think there's two components to that you know like whatever whatever that person, you know, they're doing to like expose somebody you know, like, like not help teach them in a more positive manner should, should change. But yeah. And we definitely should help teach people that they have control over how they feel for sure. Yeah. Right. And change those thoughts and teach, um, teach, teach cognitive restructuring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of those thoughts, especially when we see someone struggling with that. Right. And, and the unfortunate, Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah. The unfortunate thing is that you do have like, there are still silos that that's how people are trained through shame. Mm-hmm. And they think that's how they have to do it. And yeah. I think the unfortunate thing is that it's hard to, it's, I honestly think it's more challenging to change a person who feels like that's how it should be done through shame. Um, mm-hmm. So I honestly think the more powerful first step despite their, their actions being, and, and words being totally inappropriate. The first step is empowering the younger physicians to say, these are my boundaries. You can't make me feel any certain way. And then, and then it goes backwards, you know, like then we can eventually those people have to retire. (laughs) So it's almost like, that's, that's my view. And I could be wrong about that, but I just think that it's almost easier to say like, you're empowered 
here mm-hmm. in these in these circumstances where someone is tr- is being inappropriate and trying and and acting inappropriately and unprofessionally, but you still have power and here's how. Yeah, you yeah. know. No, I think you're right. I mean, I think it like that's similar to like where um an attending that used to um talk um sexist in front mm-hmm. of I didn't even realize he did it in front of everyone but it um because I was like the only woman that he talks such sexist trash about and there was other man male males on the rotation with me but 20 years later I find out from my other female colleagues that oh no he talked like that in front of all the all the women mm. all the time and I'm like well man I thought I was the only one he was talking like that in front of and then um you know I, I was so offended by, you know, and um, plus other things. He said that finally I just said, no, stop. You can't do this. I will not hear it anymore in front of other men. And the other men didn't say anything, you know, and, mm. and he was, and he stopped. He didn't say anything more. You know? Yeah. But, yeah. I think it, that's what it takes. You know, we do have to say, look, um, you know, either to ourselves, no, I'm not going to put up with it. Or if it's really egregious like that, no, you cannot violate my boundaries like this. Yeah. And I bet that was mm-hmm. scary for you because I bet oh, in that circumstances kidding? you were worried yeah. about, oh my, am I going to get fired? What are they going to think mm-hmm. about me? Which is yeah. a horrible position to be in. Are you kidding? Oh my gosh. I thought, okay, that's the end of my career mm-hmm. when I say that, but I, I just couldn't. Mm-mm. Right. I couldn't. But that shows your strength. Anymore. Yeah. It shows the strength Thank that you. you had. Yeah. Yeah. At that moment, I could not stand to hear that yeah. anymore. Yeah. Mm. So uh, as a final note, what could you, as far as advice and all the th- amazing lessons that you've learned, what's something that you want to leave with the, the listeners today about, you know, their doubt in their medical career, if they're in, if they're, if they're in a place of struggling or suffering right now, um, what should they hear? What should they hear? I, you know, you are enough and you um, definitely need to listen to, listen to the, this podcast and frequently. And, um, and I think that a great way to start your day is with um, positive affirmations. Mm-hmm. That, that's how I've started my day. Um for the last few years is a positive affirmation because we do hear a lot of negative, um, not only our own self-talk, which is often from just the repeated, you know, um, day to day, you know, like, Oh, fix this, fix that, fix that. Cause we're the fixers. Mm-hmm. Right. And everything's broken. People are broken. Computers are broken. EMR is broken. And so you do start to take on this, whole like I can't fix the world by myself and remember Mm -hmm. that you can't fix the world by yourself and it's not your responsibility either and so reach out for help and get um get help from others to um only fix what is within your realm at that moment and get others to help you with it I love that don't take on more than your share of the burden I love that What's one of your favorite, um, internet is broken. 
<laughs> What's one of your favorite positive affirmations? Oh, some of my, oh, well, I love anything from um, Brene Brown, you yes. know? Yes. Yeah. Um, and, oh my goodness. Yeah. I have like the whole, um, I have, you know, I'm, does this age me to say that I follow Pinterest? Is that like something that? Um, I think that's still a thing. Oh, oh is this still a thing? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And um, I, um, I keep like all of those on here. And um, um, so, and I have this, um, this one on my wall, that's like an acronym for success, which is um, see your goal, understand the obstacles, create a positive mental picture, clear your mind of self-doubt, embrace the challenge, stay on track and show the world you can do it. I love that. That's a great um, uh -huh. ladder of what it's like great steps to take. To take for success. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time, Kelly. It was great talking to you. Yeah. Thank you.